Okay, 1902 hours. I'll go ahead and call the meeting to order. Mrs. Troublefield, will you please take the roll call? Mr. Cannon? Here. Okay. Mr. Caffel? Mr. Collins? Here. Dr. Darmstadler? Here. Dr. Hattier? Here. Mr. Layfield? Here. Mr. Peden? Here. Mrs. Pryor? Here. Dr. Statler? Here. Mrs. Wright? Here. Thank you, Mr. Strubblefield. Uh, move right along with new business. At this time, I'll turn the board meeting over to uh, Dr. Owens, who will turn, turn it over to Mr. McMacken, I believe. Good evening, everyone. Thank you uh, for taking the time this evening uh, for our special board meeting. Uh, invited uh, our board attorney, Mr. McMacken, here, and uh, Mrs. Britton to join us to review some of our uh, board policies and common practices to ensure we're up to speed. We do have some new board members uh, that have recently joined us, so we want to make sure everyone is, uh, is aware of our, our practices and procedures. And that, I uh, will turn things over to Mr. McMacken. Thank you for being with us this evening, Mr. McMacken. Happy to do so, Dr. Owens, and thank you for the introduction. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my colleague Allison Britton is on the line with me as well. Um, she, uh, it, she and I work with David Williams, who has represented you for a, a very long time. Um, Dave sends his apologies that he cannot join us tonight due to an existing conflict. Uh, but we are very happy to have the relationship with Indian River for as long as we've had the relationship with Indian River, which we value tremendously. So tonight we're talking in a public meeting, starting about uh, first, first topic being the Freedom of Information Act. Now, we are being broadcast and members of the public can, of course, do this. This is not one of those situations where we share the attorney-client privilege, where you would contact me and say, what do we do now? Or what are my options? We're going to hold some of our cards back tonight. And in fairness, the reason why we're doing that is there are nuances and there are technicalities. And there are things that we've learned doing representing 17 of the 19 school districts for as long as we have that enable you some flexibility in some situations. And we don't want to tip our hands as to all those completely legal and, and court approved tips and tricks to those who may be watching tonight who are not members of the school board. But those are situations where Dr. Owens or Mr. Layfield may contact me and say, look, I've got a question. Is there a legal way we can go about doing this? And, and those might be some of the things that come up in the privileged context that would not come up tonight. So this is going to be what you need to know as board members. This is going to be about 98% of what you need to know as board members. And, and the rest is kind of learned on the fly as varying situations arise when you are governing a school district. The first and most important thing you need to know is that as elected public officials, it is presumed as a matter of law, presumed that you act in good faith. So 
when you are questioned, when you are second guessed, when you are accused, when, when people say you failed to do something you should have done or you did something that you should not have done, this is one of those situations where in the law, the tie goes to the runner and you're the runner. Something that's always good to have in the back of your mind. Many board members question, why did I get myself into this? I'm being sued, I'm being accused, I'm being blasted. I have to go to court. We'll talk more about that later. But just remember, you're always presumed to act in good faith because you are elected officials elected to do a, a job. Starting with FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act provides access to records and it governs how our meetings occur. So we've got the records side of things, which we'll talk about very briefly because that's much more of an administrative issue than it is a board member issue. Does the board members, or excuse me, do the board members need to know how many cents per page we can charge for copying? Do they need to know how many cents per page we can charge for copying a large document? No. Does the administration need to know that? Absolutely. But you don't need to know those, those that minutia. The other half of, of FOIA, the board meetings, is very germane to you. So we're going to focus primarily with regard to FOIA on the latter half of FOIA, on the board meetings and how the board meetings occur. And by all means tonight, please feel free. If you have questions along the way, please feel free to interrupt me at any time. If I don't notice, if I don't see your hand up, just uh, Dr. Owens will, will flag me down and just say, hey, somebody has a question. Um, the Freedom of Information Act has a one overarching uh, purpose, a premise that, that follows everything that concerns FOIA which is that it's to be liberally construed in favor of sunshine, in favor of seeing things, uh, the public being able to see things and public being able to get documents, unless there is a narrow statutory exception that says, this is information that cannot be provided to the public, or this is something that can occur in executive session, for example. So you are clearly a public body. You are a 10-member elected board. There's no doubt about that. There are some vagaries in Freedom of Information Act with regard to non-elected public bodies where there are situations, there are still some doubts about parts of the legislature and, and certain groups that are appointed by the governor, whether they're governed by FOIA or not. Every year there's a fight about whether or not we're gonna change the statute and have the University of Delaware governed by FOIA, doesn't matter. For our purposes, representing school districts and representing you, you are clearly governed by FOIA. Now, there are um, situations where you might have advisory groups or committees or subcommittees, and this happens a lot. It happened recently with regard to how school districts, certain school districts are, are went about or are going about selecting a superintendent or selecting a search firm to go about finding a superintendent. Or are we gonna have a dress code or will we have uniforms? Those sorts of topics come up and board members frequently say, you know what, we want the public to be heard. We want our moms and dads and guardians to be heard. 
We want our teachers to be heard on whatever of those four examples I just threw out, superintendents, superintendent search, dress codes, and uniforms. We want other people to be heard. So what we do as a school board is we would say, you know, I'm using Indian River for an example, even though Indian River has not committed one of these infractions. This is just a hypothetical where we're going to use ourselves as a player. And, and the school board appoints Dr. Owens and appoints two administrators by name and appoints three teachers by name and appoints five parents by name and says, you all are the committee and you're gonna make recommendations about this topic and please provide us your recommendations at the November board meeting. Is that legal? Yes. But what did we just do? We created a FOIA obligated subcommittee, a FOIA obligated advisory group or whatever you wanna call it. We created a group that has to comply with FOIA. They have to post, they have to keep minutes, they have to have open meetings, they have to do all of the things that you have to do, which is extremely cumbersome. We've had situations where we had a school board say, uh, superintendent, assistant superintendent, and principal, I want the three of you to get together, and I want the three of you to report back at the November board meeting about whatever we're going to talk about, whether we should change the mascot. Is that legal? Yes. Technically, when that principal, superintendent, and assistant superintendent met in the workplace during the workday, technically, they had to post the meeting. They had to keep minutes. They had to invite the public, et cetera, et cetera because it was a board created body. So how can we avoid something so cumbersome and how can we do so completely legally? Let's just come up with an example. Let's say the board wants to change the mascot, okay? The Indian River, well I know we don't have one mascot, but let's say we had one mascot, we wanted to change it. And we wanted to get public input. We wanted to hear from alumni through parents and business leaders in the community and teachers and, and, and coaches, et cetera. How would we do that completely legally? You would say, you know what, Dr. Owens, I, I think we need to uh, take a look at our mascot. Can I get a motion and a second um, that we ask Dr. Owens to put together a group that includes a bunch of people that reflects our community and reports back at our November meeting about whether or not we should create or not create a new mascot or adopt a new mascot. And if they want to say, you want to get as detailed as saying, Dr. Owens, I want you to have a couple parents and a couple coaches and a couple alumni on that. You're not creating a, bo a body that has to comply with FOIA. But if you say, I want you to include three coaches, and I want you to include four teachers, and I want you to include two alumni and two parents, et cetera, et cetera, now you are defining who is on that committee to such degree that you've effectively created that committee. So it's all in the process. It's all in the process. It's a legal process to go about creating a committee, getting the information that you want, 
and um, and and being able to conduct business in a way that doesn't completely hamstring operations at the administrative level when they're trying to come up with the recommendations that you are seeking. So we need to um, be transparent whenever we are conducting public business, whenever a quorum of you is discussing or taking action upon public business. What does that mean? Well, we've had this happen and, and you're very fortunate. This is a good board. People seem to get along. We have other school boards where, frankly, we often say we need to wear uniforms so we know who's on what team. And I'm glad we are not one of those boards. But we frequently get letters of complaint from school board members to the administration that say, I saw board members A, B, and C having coffee together at, the re at this restaurant or at this diner. I saw board members one, two, three, and four watching a baseball game. They were all sitting together. That's a, that's a board meeting, an unlawful board meeting. And that is not the case, okay? 100% of those complaints that I've received in the 18 years I've been doing this have been submitted not by members of the public, but by a different faction of the school board. People that disagree with others, and they try to use FOIA as a sword, but it shouldn't be, because in a situation like that, are you allowed to dine and break bread and be friends with and socialize with each other? Yes, it's a wonderful thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong, nothing wrong with you enjoying each other's company. But when you sit there as a group of six, and because you're a 10 member board, when there are six of you present and you talk about, let's change the curriculum, let's go out to referendum, let's build a new Sussex Central High School, whatever you want to talk about, at that point you are discussing public business. If you want to sit there and talk about the wrestling team and how good they look this year, fine. You want to sit there and talk about how the, con the musical concert last spring before COVID was a, a good activity, fine. If you want to talk about, you know, seeking referendum dollars, no, that's obviously public business. If you want to all go to a national education training conference together, there was one that occurred in Memphis in 2007. A number of members of the Christina School District Board went. They paid their own way to go. And one of the board members filed a FOIA complaint alleging that it was a violation of the Public Meetings Act because they went and they were all together and they were learning, but they weren't discussing anything. They weren't panelists up there discussing public business. They were simply attendees. And the Department of Justice found that there was no violation. So a meeting is a formal or informal gathering of a quorum of the members of the board for the purposes of either discussing public business or taking action on public business. And the taking action upon is very simple. You can only take action if it occurs at a public board meeting, which is a beautiful thing. And we'll talk more about why that is later. Now, the Freedom of Information Act does not tell you what a quorum is. 
one would think you would look to Robert's rules and in the non-school context, a quorum is we got at least half our people here, right? That That's the common belief of what a quorum is, but not so in Delaware school law. Delaware school law says you need a majority of the whole. So let's take Milford. They've got, you know, they've got seven board members. They need four board members to do anything. Smyrna's got five. They need three board members to do anything. You have 10. You need six board members to do anything at all, conduct any sort of public business, which is tricky, right? And, and, and I want to, you know, deviate from FOIA and, and just go to the practicalities now for a second, okay? It's, there are certain things you have to do by code at a certain point in time in the year, right? You have to non-renew administrative contracts by December 30th. By the way, not December 31st, as some people think. You got to get your teacher non-renewals out by May 15th. You have to have your budget by the, the uh, October board meeting. You have to have your tax warrant in by, by the second Thursday in July. Things like that, right? Things that statu you're statutorily required to do. Now, it's gotten a little bit different now that we're allowed to do these, vi these video meetings. But you have to get six people to the table you actually have to get six affirmative votes to the table for any of those things like non-renewals and tax warrants that have to occur by a certain date. So planning is required on your part to make sure that, you know, we're gonna have a board meeting in December to issue these notices, but you know, it snows in December. And what are we gonna do if people are away? What are we gonna do if we've got some inclement weather? So you're very wise to think ahead when it comes to some of these statutorily obligated events that you must you must do the uh, duties you must perform by law to make sure that you have adequate time to do them and get six affirmative votes to the table aside from weather and and travel things that are going on in people's lives all right so back to FOIA. i just figured i would throw out some of that knowledge because we've seen it we've seen it occur We've seen administrative contracts get non-renewed because of snowstorms. We, we saw teachers get renewed that were supposed to have gotten, gotten non-renewed because of a, a tropical storm that occurred in, in early May one year, which was an early storm, not in Indian River. So FOIA um, talks about electronic meetings. We can't we can't have what's called a serial meeting, an exchange of ideas by email, and we'll talk more about that, but there's a specific prohibition in code about electronic meetings. For example, let's just say we all wanted to, we wanted to change the mascot, which is a, a, a theme that I use a lot because it, it doesn't ruffle a lot of feathers in most districts. And for a 10-member board, you would need six members of your board to change the mascot. Simple. So, but let's say, and Mr. Layfield, I'm not picking on you, but you are the board president, so I'm, I'm going to pick on you if that's okay with you. He sends an email out to to the nine of you, the nine others, and says, let's change the mascot. And five of you respond, okay, good idea. Let's roll with it. At that point, we don't have board action, right? Because that did not occur at a board meeting. It's actually also what's called a serial meeting. We're outside of a official board meeting and we're straw polling to see how others are going to vote on certain issues. Look, I'm not dumb. I know what happens in executive sessions and I know what happens outside of board meetings. 
but that is that is unlawful in Delaware to, to have a meeting of the minds outside of a public board meeting to say things like, hey, do I have your vote? I, I'm going to vote for this. I hope I have your support. Anything like that is unlawful. Now, look, is it unlawful for Mr. Mr. Layfield? I'm going to keep using you as an example, if you don't mind, just because you're the board president. Is it unlawful for him to pick up the phone and call Dr. Hattier and say, look, you know, this ELA curriculum that they're using, you know, I, I, I think we could do better for our special needs population. What do you think? And Dr. Hattier says, yeah, you know, I, I've done the research. I, I've read the, the position papers. I, I think that, that the competitive software that we could be purchasing is better. You know, I, I'm going to make a pitch to the board at our October meeting that, um, you know, we should switch curriculum. Is that unlawful? No. But if he were to call next, uh, Mr. Layfield calls Mr. Collins and says, hey, look, you know, I've got Dr. Hattier on board. I'm on board. I got to get you on board. I think we can get new, a new ELA curriculum to better address our special ed population. Now we're strong. And that is completely unlawful. We got to watch out for that. Participation by phone does didn't or phone and video did not work before March 12th, 2020 for any elected board. Now, here is the status of video conferencing. While we are in the state of emergency, we can keep doing this. There is a new statute that was passed and signed by the governor and rushed through that says even after the state of emergency, the, the purpose of the statute was even after the state of emergency, y'all are gonna be allowed to keep doing this. But they made mistakes in the drafting because they were in such a rush to get it through. So there's gonna be a whole new bill. But we can keep doing this and sometime between now and the end of the state of emergency, which we all hope is soon, uh, we're going to get a new bill that allows us to continue doing this, except we're going to have to have somebody at a physical location. We're going to have to have an opportunity for members of the public to be at that physical location and speak in person. So the purpose is to allow you all, whether you're in Delaware or you're on vacation, to participate by video. If you are disabled and you cannot get out, Another defined purpose of the statute is to say, y'all can come. You just don't have to actually be here. Your voice can be heard. So it's, it's a nice thing. It's going to provide a lot of flexibility. It's a lot more current. And it's a lot more reflective of what other states are doing. Because it's really been a shame. We've, we've had a lot of problems conducting business pre-COVID because of people being on vacation, people being um, ill, flu season. You know, getting getting people to board meetings. A big issue with FOIA concerns notice. The statute says that whenever there is going to be a board meeting, we have to have notice seven days in advance for your regular board meeting. For a special board meeting, you have to give at least 24 hours notice. And then an emergency board meeting occurs on less than 24 hours notice. 
So a regular board meeting occurs seven days or more, special 24 hours or more, emergency less than 24 hours. Those are the only three types of board meetings that are identified in FOIA. Now, we use, I'm guilty of this, everybody is guilty of this. We use the word special board meeting frequently. We, we used it tonight. This is a special board meeting because it's not on your regular calendar. But, so that, that, that doesn't mean we can have it on less than seven days notice. It just means it was off cycle. It wasn't a regular monthly meeting because we're having you know the whole evening for, for this purpose. Um, so it's you know, technically a special meeting is one that occurs on more than 24, but less than seven days notice. Um, the emergency meetings are very limited. So the emergency meeting would occur on less than 24 hours notice. It's I, because we're being recorded and broadcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna conservatively say I haven't seen many cases of emergency board meetings that legitimately met the definition of a emergency board meeting in Delaware in the last 18 years. I, I, I've seen, let's just say I've seen very few. Special board meetings are legitimate and, and we see these all the time. And it's something, you can have a special board meeting if something arose suddenly and cannot be deferred. We'll, we'll talk more about what that means, um, but we'll, let's talk about it now. If something occurs suddenly, arises suddenly and cannot be deferred is a two-part test. Now remember, there's a lot of discretion afforded elected officials as to whether something truly arose suddenly and cannot be deferred or not. So if we've got a situation where um, we've got to consider closing schools in March because of COVID, did that arise suddenly? Absolutely it arose suddenly. Um, could it be deferred? No. I mean, you know, obviously you needed to act upon that as soon as possible. Developing plans in order to comply with DPH and CDC guidelines and information that's coming from the governor. That stuff was coming fast and furious. There probably were multiple meetings where you had special board meetings um, between March and, and, and today, September 23rd. And I'm willing to bet my last dollar that they were all legitimate because of the exigencies of COVID. Um, frequently, we'll see self-created emergencies in certain districts where, hey, I forgot to, I forgot, you know, we need to uh, issue our tax warrant by the second Thursday in July. Can that be deferred? Clearly not. The statute says you must issue your tax warrant by the second Thursday in July. And the statute also says the board has to approve it. It can't be done on the administrative side. You guys actually have to do that. It's a matter of law. Did that arise suddenly because the finance director forgot to tell the superintendent to put on the agenda? Well, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of that FOIA complaint. So that, you know, these self-inflicted wounds are not always things that arise suddenly. But if it's going to be seven days or more out, you can put anything on. If you're going to have an executive session, you need to state on the posting that you are going to have an executive session. 
Now, remember what I told you in the beginning, the overarching purpose of FOIA is to, is to provide sun, sunlight and sunshine on public activities. Excuse me. Another purpose of the agenda is to inform the public as to what's going on so that they can make a decision. Is it worth it for me to leave my house in the evening and find a babysitter and go to this meeting? Or are they talking about stuff that doesn't concern me? So they look at it through the lens of, is enough information provided so that I would know as a member of the public that the Indian River School District is gonna be talking about something that I would wanna hear or that I would wanna comment on. So that, that doesn't mean you need to provide a lot of detail. Up until 2011, our agendas throughout the state looked very similar. We're gonna talk about personnel, we're gonna talk about facilities, we're gonna talk about transportation, we're gonna talk about curriculum, student discipline, employee discipline, and then a couple of things that are more topical and more germane. Like maybe we're doing a building project, maybe we're doing repairs, minor cap, major cap, or a referendum. And then Capital School District and Dewey, the, the town of Dewey Beach, had FOIA complaints asserted against them. And the Department of Justice caught up with us all and said, look, you've got to be a lot more descriptive. You don't have to be so descriptive that you're writing a book, but you have to inform the public about what you're talking about. And when you're talking about, for example, in, in executive session, you're talking about litigation, you don't have to say, we're going to talk about the Smith versus Jones case and whether or not we want to settle it for $10,000 or whether, or whether in the Miller versus Johnson case, we want to make an offer of judgment of $20,000. But you would say, you know, we're talking about existing or potential or possible litigation. We're talking about strategy concerning lawsuits. You don't want to just have litigation or, or legal update because in that situation, the, the public has no idea whatsoever about what you're talking about in executive. Whether you're talking about lawsuits or whether you're talking about, are we going to get sued if we fire this employee or, or, or whether we're going to participate in the class action that's going on right now with regard to the the jewel vape smoking stuff but i don't really know too much about it but the, the the jewel vape class action so you need to provide some degree of scrutiny but or excuse me some degree of specificity but not so much that a member of the public knows what case you're talking about you don't want to have um, standing reasons the same every month for executive session. We're going to talk about legal personnel um, and employees. Got to, got to change it up. Um, with regard to the non-executive posting, with regard to the, the, the general session, we want to watch out for things like new business with no description below about what that new business is. You don't want to have old business with no description of what that old business is. You can say new business. We wanna talk about Chromebooks for the kids. We wanna talk about the ELA curriculum and we wanna talk about um, uh, a, a, a CN to get 
funding for Sussex Central High School. And you want to talk about old business, we want to talk about, um, you know, the, the, the COVID response of the Indian River School District. That's fine. But you don't want to just have old business and you don't want to just have new business with no descriptor below that. Okay. You also don't want to say on your agenda that the agenda is subject to change and then actually change it because then the public has no idea what you're going to be talking about during the course of that meeting. And they have no idea whether or not they would have wanted to have attended had they seen it. We have to post um, conspicuously on the front doors of our principal place of business. So down at IREC, you know, it's gotta be posted on the door. I am sure when you had board meetings during COVID, um, because of the arcane issues in the statute that have been fixed, by the way, going forward, uh, that they weren't fixed until August though. I bet you Jen Troublefield was probably uh, running over to IREC and posting on the front door your board meetings because we had to do that. Going forward, you, during a state of emergency, you do not have to do that, but until August, you did. Um, and also as a public school district, not as a part of FOIA, but as a part of school law, we have to post our school board meetings on our websites. Publication is not required. Um, there was a lawsuit filed in 2006 alleging that Brandywine School District failed to post their meetings because they did not post it in the news journal. Um, the Department of Justice ruled correctly, in my view, that FOIA does not require a public body to publish notices in the news journal or in any newspaper whatsoever. All we have to do is post on the front door and on the website. And during a state of emergency, all we have to do is post on the website. If we're going to have a workshop, this is, a, you know, for all intents and purposes, this is a workshop, right? You're not, you're not gonna take any action on what I'm doing tonight or what we're talking about tonight. But the Department of Justice has ruled in a K Penlopen case, from 1990, so going back a ways, that there is no distinction in FOIA between a workshop and um, and a public board meeting. Because anytime you're discussing or conducting, so just focusing on the discussing piece, anytime you're discussing public business, um, it's a it's a public meeting. So we can't get away with just calling it a workshop um, like we've done in the past. And some districts have done that over the years, you know, subsequent to 1990, and and uh, that's always been worked out. So it, it hasn't become a problem for them. Now, when we post the agenda, what do we have to provide in terms of documents? So board members have one side of board docs, the public has another. Remember a while ago, I was telling you that for some of our districts, we have to sometimes wonder who should be wearing what uniforms because frankly, the board members hate each other. Well, I had a board member sue the school board alleging when we represented a district adverse to 17 charter schools, 17 charters sued this district alleging that um, the local cost per student for charter school funding was miscalculated. And when that case resolved, on very good terms for the district that the school district should have provided a copy of the settlement agreement to all of the school board members and to the public in advance. And obviously that is not required by FOIA. So we prevailed in that case. 
Um, you know, you do not need to provide supporting documents in advance when the agenda is posted, but the agenda must be added to the notice at all times, at least six hours before the meeting. So let's say we post a meeting for next Thursday, September 30th. I'm sorry, next Thursday, um, October 1st. And we post it tonight and we don't post an agenda. We don't have to technically post an agenda until six hours before the meeting next Thursday night. But if we don't post the agenda with the notice tonight, we have to explain why we didn't do so. It might be because of an illness in district office. It might be because the agenda wasn't ready because things were still in motion with regard to something that was, that was transpiring in the end of September. Again, a lot of deference is afforded you as public members, uh, public officials, um, as to you know, your reasoning for not posting and, and why you posted it when you did, um, but you have to have a reason if you don't post it more than seven days in advance. Now, here's a tricky one for you. Under the law, after the agenda is, in the, is initially posted, it may be amended to add anything that comes up suddenly and cannot be deferred, even if it comes up as late as at the public board meeting. So back to my next Thursday night example. Next Thursday night, you wanna talk about whatever you wanna talk about. And I say, you know, let's say I'm a board member now, and I say I wanna talk about whether or not we, uh, we should change the, the mascot. And you all would look at me and say, it's, you know, McMack, and I'm sure you've got really great priorities uh, if, if this is what you want to talk about. But this uh, may have arisen suddenly, but we can definitely defer this issue to a future date and time because it's not something critical. But, but let's say I change the facts. You know, you know let's say I, I, I raise an issue sometime between now and the next board meeting or at the next board meeting. Something that comes up, you know, hey, I just got a notice from the Department of Labor that says that our paraprofessionals are not being paid um, at the prevailing, prevailing rate wage. Uh, we're violating our collective bargaining agreement. And um, every day that goes by, we're accruing damages. That meets the, hey, it cannot be deferred test and it arose suddenly, clearly. And, and that, that can come up even at the board meeting. I can bring that issue up. However, we had two Sussex Tech cases last summer filed by two different people where at the beginning of the board meeting, the board members adjusted their agenda to add things that arose in the, in the hours, in the hours and day before the board meeting and absolutely could not be deferred. And the Department of Justice slapped their hands and said, these things were added unlawfully because they were added more than six hours before the board meeting started. They completely read out of the statute anything about permitting us to add things to the agenda after the board meeting had already started. Nevertheless, it was a no harm, no foul situation. Uh, because as soon as the FOIA complaints were filed, we ratified the board action um, and, and cleaned up 
cleaned up the issue. But, but the whole point of that discussion is to let you know that if you can amend the agenda in advance, it's much cleaner to do it six hours before the meeting starts and not at the meeting, even though FOIA says you can do it at the meeting. The Department of Justice doesn't want you to. Um, anytime you want to remove something from the agenda, you are allowed to do it under FOIA. Now, certain things you can't remove because you have to do them by certain statutory dates. But as a matter of the Freedom of Information Act, nothing in FOIA governs removing things from an agenda. So whenever I get a call from a superintendent or a board president, they say to me, hey, look, I'm thinking about putting on this issue. You know, let's change the mascot for next Thursday night. Should I put it on or not? Because I'm not really sure if I'm going to have the votes and I don't think really people want to talk about it. The time might not be right and people are more interested in other things. I say to them, put it on. You can always take it off, but you can't put it on too late. You can take it off at any time. Somebody could always say, you know, I want to make a motion to take the mascot issue off. Second, any discussion, boom, mascot issues off the table, off the agenda. Right? So you can always take things off. The problem is putting them on. Now, reordering. Hey, Jim. Yeah. It's Jay. If you have something on the agenda um, and it's, it's an action item, you were going to vote on it, and you have discussion, you don't want to take a vote that evening, or it's something, yeah, and it's an action item. It, how do you, do you table that? Do you, can you have the discussion and just acknowledge that you're not going to take a vote on it that evening? Uh, how do you go about that? All right. So the agenda is discussion and action upon um, changing the mascot. Um, Dr. Owens, I want to make a motion. And this is actually one, I made a mistake a second ago. This does not require further discussion. Um, I want to make a motion that we leave discussion, discussing the mascot issue on the table. Um, but let's take off action on that. And you get a second and okay, now the agenda item is just discussion on it, not action upon it. Does that answer your question, Jay? That does. We are, uh, we previously had not uh, placed uh, items on under an A for action or D for discussion, but we are doing that uh, moving forward for clarity purposes. Um, so I just wanted to make sure we acknowledge that when we need to. Okay. Now you can always re, uh, reorder your agenda under FOIA, but you've got to watch out for the First Amendment on this one. Okay? Let's say as a matter of historical practice, the Indian River School District always has public comment last. And they've had their board meetings typically start at 6 o'clock, start at 5.30 with an exec, 6 o'clock with a general session. And, and we always do our executive, excuse me, we always do our public comment last. And our board meetings run late, so it's usually 10, 11 o'clock before we have our board meetings. Excuse me, before we have our public comment. We know tonight that this person who's cantankerous, who's complaining about the Indian River School District, who wants to talk about some issue that's upsetting in the community and wants to blast us. And we say, you know what? 
Let's do public comment first tonight. And we do public comment, six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, this person shows up and they say, what about my public comment? And we say, oh, you missed it. Did we violate FOIA? Did we, no. Did we violate the First Amendment? I, I would say we did, right? You know, we did it with the pop purpose of, of squelching public comment on a topic that we didn't want to hear about. So when I say you can always reorder it, you just have to be cautious about making sure you're not doing so in such a manner that you're going to squelch discussion on a hot button issue, particularly an issue that might be critical of the district. Now, what if something arises during the board meeting? Okay. And it's a member of the public. Hey, my name is Jim. I live in Selbyville. Um, I got two kids uh, at, at the high school. And um, I just want to let you know that um, I have a note from um, one of the teachers that says um, that uh, they're selling drugs and they've previously con been convicted of selling drugs. And the superintendent and the assistant superintendent know about it. And I think we need to do something about it. Thank you for your time and attention. Okay, so at this point in time, you're going to direct the superintendent and the assistant superintendent or the personnel director, you know, whoever it is, whether it's Jay and Celeste or, or whoever it's going to be, to investigate this and then have Mark and Kurt look into this issue. That arose suddenly. It arose at the board meeting. Can it be deferred? No, this person is a threat to the health, welfare, and safety of the students at the high school. Farcical example, but the reason I bring it up is the the board, the the administration already knows about it, but they haven't been doing anything about it. It's a it's a farcical example, but it's one of those situations where oh my God, something just came up, and we need to act upon it, and it came from a member of the public. That was not on the agenda, but just because it came from a member of the public doesn't mean that you can't have a motion in the second to direct the administration to immediately suspend this person and immediately investigate or refer to law enforcement or whatever you're going to do with regard um, to the investigation. Now, adopting a motion is a little bit tricky in Delaware. In, in the non-school law world, there could be action by written consent, there could just be a show of hands, et cetera. In the school board world, as I said, you need six votes for everything. You need six affirmative votes. If it's not unanimous, the president would, would excuse me, if it is unanimous, the president would declare it unanimous. If it's not unanimous, there must be a roll call in Delaware. And my advice with these um, virtual meetings is to have every vote by a roll call. It's because so often we think everybody's heard, but people are talking over each other. All in favor say aye. And I, you know, sound, I didn't hear anybody say no, but maybe somebody said no and they just weren't heard in this virtual world that we're living in. So it's a good idea. Nothing requires you to do a roll call on every vote, but it's not a bad idea. Um, some interesting things have occurred. We, we had a situation in, in Capitol a few years ago where. Um, the board member, the board president thought it was unanimous, didn't hear that there was a no vote on the other end of the stage. 
uh, and said it was unanimous and didn't do a roll call vote. There was a FOIA complaint filed and the Department of Justice said, why are you wasting our time? They had four affirmative votes. Whether there's four affirmative votes or five affirmative votes, either way, the motion still passes. Executive sessions is something that you as board members need to be very, very cautious of. Um, there are only certain reasons why you can be in executive session. I'm gonna hit just the ones that deal with, the, there's a whole laundry list in code, but just the ones that come up in your world. Um, discussion of an individual citizen's qualifications to hold a job or pursue training, unless the citizen requested it be open. So what does that mean? That's not personnel, right? That's, is, is Jim the right person for this supervisor job? Can we hire Jim or do we think Sally would be better at this job? We're talking about Jim and Sally. If we're talking about things like whether we should hire a supervisor, what should the process be? How are we going to go about filling this job, the supervisor job? That's not protected. But who is going to fill it? That is protected. Um, there is one FOIA case in Apoquitamic about Matt Burroughs' contract. It says that when we're talking about the competencies of the superintendent, there's a public interest in knowing um, what the board feels about the board's superintendent. That case is completely unfounded in the law. It cited no authority for its conclusions. We view it as an outlier. And I would love a case to challenge it, um, but just let you know that case is out there. We all think it is bad law. It's bad law. When you're talking um, about collective bargaining, obviously that's something where public knowledge of, of what our positions are and what our financial proposals and our language proposals are, public knowledge of that would hurt us. So collective bargaining is obviously something that you can talk about in exec. Preliminary discussions on site acquisitions for any publicly funded capital improvements. Clearly something you could talk about in exec because as soon as word gets out that you're looking at a project, price goes up due to the Procurement Act process. Any strategy sessions, um, including those involving Dave and Allison and, and, and I, um, any strategy sessions involving pending or potential litigation, but only when it, having an open meeting would adversely affect the process. Now. I don't remember whether it was Indian River or it was one of the other districts that we represent had a policy that said any training that we had, like we're doing tonight, would occur in exec. It might actually have been Indian River. That, that's a code update, uh, or that's a regular uh, a policy update. We, we would have to update that because we can only have these interactions when we're talking about actual litigation, pending litigation, or potential litigation. Um, any student discipline cases are obviously appropriate for exec, employee discipline, and any personnel matters where we're talking about the actual names and competencies and abilities of, of that person. Um, we can talk about, you know, when you have questions about your roles, 
you know, those come up outside of the executive session via questions that you might have directed to Jay. And then if Jay doesn't know the answer offhand, he, or excuse me, Dr. Owens, um, if he doesn't know, he would, he would reach out to me and, and we would, we would within the privilege, but not within the executive session, be able to funnel that information to you individually so that you know what your rights and obligations are as members of the school board. Um, but re remember, whenever we're having, you know, we're, we're talking about policy changes, right? I mentioned the policy change with regard to board training. Whenever we're having discussions in executive session about policy ch changes, we shouldn't be having those, those conversations there in executive session. Those come up a lot. And frequently I'll have to say, look, you know, I'm, I'd love to answer your questions and that's why I'm here. That's what I do for a living. But if I'm gonna to talk to you about something that doesn't concern executive session topics, we need to talk about this in open session. So it, it, it makes it tough for the lawyer sometimes, but, but sometimes uh, we, we need to be mindful that, that when we stray from executive session, we're, we're, we're jeopardizing the district. Mr. Layfield had a question. I've got a question. I apologize for interrupting, but it might be a good timing for the question. <clears throat> Are we able to ask during executive session, the secretary and the superintendent to leave the room to discuss just with board members? Mr. Layfield, you can ask anybody who's not a board member to leave an executive session at any time. Now, we had a defiance case in one of our districts last November or December of 2019, where the superintendent refused to leave. And it became a, one of those standoffs where everybody sat there awkwardly for a while. And I left the room and he, refused, he or she, I don't want to identify who it was, refused to leave. And then eventually they said, look, you are being insubordinate, you're being unruly, we're gonna have a state police officer remove you, and he eventually left. Dr. Owens would never do such a thing. Is there any record, Does, who keeps the record in that instance? Was there the, the president's obligation to keep the uh, record of the minutes for the executive session at that time? Mr. Layfield, at that point, it does not matter who keeps the records, it matters that someone keeps the records. Uh, well, when I say records, I mean the minutes. Yes, sir. That was my that was my intent with the minutes. Thank you. You're welcome. Going into and out of executive session is something we lawyer dorks like to we like to joke around about, right? Because we, we lawyers think that these things are funny. How do you go in executive session? There's a motion. There is a second, there is a any further discussion, there is a vote, and now you all leave and you go into executive session. Or you dismiss the public and you stay in executive session. Or wherever you are becomes wherever you, you, know, you go for, for your executive session. How do you leave executive session? I have a question. Dr. Hattier. Sorry, um, going back to Mr. Layfields, keeping the records on this, okay, or the minutes. now. If we're keeping minutes and they're detailed and all that, what's the point of sending somebody out of the room in the first place? Got a great answer for, for you. I'm going to get to executive session minutes or I'll address it now. Why, why don't I address it now? Because it just came up. Okay. Let's do it. Good, good, good question, doctor. 
All right. So the executive session minutes are going to be something that are not subject to FOIA while they are right. Okay. So let's say what we're talking about is um, we're talking about site acquisition in Selbyville for a new building. And five years from now, somebody requests the executive session minutes from September 23rd. At that point, would we, would we redact the executive session minutes where we were discussing the site acquisition for the property? No, because we've either built on it or not built on it, and, and we're either going forward or we didn't go forward. doesn't matter anymore. Let's say it's a month or five years or 10 years from now, and we get a FOIA request. And the FOIA request is for the executive session minutes for the 23rd. And they talk about uh, whether we should terminate the supervisor of this and that, and whether or not we should issue a notice of intent to terminate for this teacher, and whether we should expel student Jim. Is that information still protected? Sure, because it doesn't matter whether that's something that aro arose today or five years from now, there's still a privacy interest there. But let's say we talked about um, but we were talking about Jay, right? And that's why we asked him to leave. Or we were talking about um, Jennifer, and that's why we asked her to leave. Um, at that point, that information would still not be subject to a FOIA request because it would still be protected. But who's keeping that information is, I think, Doctor, your question, right? Because who keeps that information if not the executive secretary when it is about the executive secretary that we are talking, right? And where's the chain of custody for that document to make sure, let's say, Dr. Hattie, I'm going to pick you because you asked the question. You know, at an executive session, you wanted to talk about whether or not um, Jay and Jennifer were doing their jobs. And that's why you asked them to leave. Um, and you wrote down, you know, I, we talked about whether or not the superintendent and the superintendent secretary were doing their job. That's all the descriptive you need. Those are good executive session minutes. In fact, they're better than some exec executive session meeting minutes that I've seen. Chain of custody. What are you doing with those minutes to make sure that they are part of the official records? I've never seen that occur. Uh, you know, what I would think is it would probably say um, the executive secretary was asked to leave the room. Dr. Hattier took minutes in my absence. And if you want the executive session minutes for what transpired in my absence, you're going to have to ask Dr. Hattier for them. And I hope you keep them in your board journal. Sir. Thank you. You're welcome. Good question. All right. So you went into executive session. How do you come out of executive session legally? Legally, there is no way to leave executive session. Once you're in, you're in there for the rest of your life. Why is that? Because you can vote to go into executive session, but you're not allowed to vote in executive session to leave executive session. So how, in the real world, how does it work? You vote to go in, you finish up with executive session, Mr. Layfield, as the as the board president says, all right, we've covered everything we got to talk about. Anybody else have anything else? Nope. All right, let's go back. You walk into the room where you're conducting your general session, your open session, as it's sometimes called. You sit there and you say, okay, we're back. 
There never technically should be a vote either in executive session to leave executive session or when you have already vacated physically the space that is the executive session and you return to the space that is the open session, technically there should be a, not be a vote in either place to return to open session. The way it occurs is Mr. Layfield makes a declaration as the president says, we're done here. We're done here and we're, going, we're back. And if members of the, of the board are unhappy with that, you know, they, they can take an opportunity and, you know, if they want to say, look, I wasn't done with the executive session, I want to, I want to go back and you get five supporting votes, you guys can go back into executive session. And we've seen that happen. We, you know, we've, we've, we've seen situations where people want to return to, to open session and other people don't. Now, who may attend an executive session? Only the people that have a, a duty to be there. Okay, and, and I've seen this occur many times. We're gonna have an executive session. We're gonna talk about student discipline. We're gonna talk about employee discipline and we're gonna talk about litigation, all right? So I go into executive session, not with you all, of course, because you guys do everything right. And I look around the table and I've got the superintendent there. I've got the board members there. Great, so far so good. I've got the finance director here. Why do I have the finance director here? Okay, maybe to talk about funding the litigation or or something like that. I've got the special ed director here. Well, we're not we don't have any special ed cases. I've got buildings and ground coordinator here and the transportation coordinator here. Why why are these people? Okay. The right way to do it is you've got your 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 cap your your superintendent, assistant superintendent, and your board members in the room and they say, Okay, now we're talking about student discipline, bring in the principal that's gonna talk about that expulsion. All right, you can leave. All right, now we're gonna talk about that employee discipline case. Somebody go get Celeste. Okay, you can. All right, now we're gonna talk about that litigation matter. Somebody go out and get McMackin out of the hallway. That's the right way to do it. Doesn't always happen that way. Also, frequently we'll have future leaders of America, we'll have youth in government, we'll have kids that want to potentially be um, you know, future leaders, future legislators, some districts have a kid appointed to the school board and those kids as as great of a civic duty as it is to be bringing these kids in technically those kids should not be in executive sessions there can be no observers as a matter of, of law um, just be mindful of those executive sessions when we stray from the topics you know frequently i'll say things like guys you know we got to focus on topics that are are germane to the subject that we're here for, and we'll have sometimes we'll have FOIA issues. Excuse me, FERPA, not FERPA. We'll have executive session issues arise that are legitimate executive session issues, but they are not the executive session issues that were on the agenda in that situation. Even though you technically could talk about it, had it been posted, it wasn't posted, so we cannot talk about those things in exact. Public comment, this is one of those do yourselves a favor bits of advice I have for you. As a matter of law, do we need to have public comment? No, under Reader versus the Delaware Department of Insurance, a case from 2006, 
there's no requirement that we have public comment. Does every single school board have public comment? Yes, why not? Because they'd be coming at you with pitchforks and torches if you didn't ever have public comment. This is one of those do yourself a favor things, okay? If you're gonna have public comment and you do, limit it. Have a policy that says you can talk for one minute. Have it, you can talk for two minutes. I see some of these policies that some districts have where each person gets five or 10 minutes where there's no cap on how long they get. I mean, I've sat at Sussex Tech's board meeting three summers ago and I heard, and we were there all night and we were there at three o'clock in the morning just listening to people gripe about the, about the school board. Um, so do yourselves a favor and give it a, you know, a minute or two. You can't cede time to somebody else. Because um, if you see time, you know, I want to talk, I, got, I get a minute and I only talk for 45 seconds and, and I and everybody else give, you know, seconds here and seconds there to somebody else. Um, you could have a, a rather long meeting. Keep everybody on the clock. This is a First Amendment issue. Let's say I want to get up and I want to talk about how awesome Jay Owens is. And I want to talk about how great Indian River is. And I want to talk about how wonderful you guys have reacted to COVID. And I want to talk about positive, 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 positive. Okay? And you let me drone on like a boring attorney that I am, but you let me drone on because I'm praising you. And you let me go for 15 minutes, right? And then Sally the curmudgeon gets up and she says, Indian River's awful for these reasons. And you're terrible and you're awful. And I'm accusing you of this. And I'm accusing you of that. And you say, hey, Sally, sorry your 60 seconds is up. That's a First Amendment problem because you let me talk as long as I want because I'm, I'm laying it on you real good with a lot of praise and you shut her down after a minute because she is digging into you. You're not content neutral. So keep everybody on the clock, people that are saying good things and people that are saying bad. Disruptive people, when we get back to the real world and, and people are being disruptive, if it basically amounts to disorderly conduct, you could you can have them removed in in this virtual world if i'm on there and i'm posting inappropriate things and i'm holding up signs and and doing things that are inappropriate can you shut me out of the meeting by by having charles ban me from the ban my ip address for the night yes clearly you can you can kick me out all right, so that, that's the nuts and bolts of FOIA. Um, you know, re remember with regard, I, I told you I would talk about records. We covered the meetings. With regard to the records, very briefly, if it doesn't fall under FERPA, privacy, employment, people are getting it, getting the documents, unless it's legally privileged. You know, we had a situation in one of our Newcastle County school districts where a very cantankerous parent filed a FOIA complaint, or excuse me, a FOIA request. I want all documents and all emails between principal, athletic director, and coach about my son, Jim. So we did a record search. We did a, a, an email search. And we got about 15 emails. And those emails were talking they were saying horrible things about the kid and horrible things about the parent. And with a lot of egg on our face, we had to turn them over because 
If they're not privileged, we're turning them over. So be careful. Do what your mom told you. Do what my mom told me. Don't put anything in writing if you don't want it on the cover of the news journal. Don't put it. On, don't put anything in writing that might come back and bite you. If you are communicating on an IRS dot, excuse me, irsd.k12.de.us email address, it is subject to a FOIA complaint unless it's protected or privileged. I'm sorry, it's subject to a FERPA a FOIA request, not FOIA complaint. If you text each other, if you email each other using your Gmails, it's not subject to FOIA, but it is still subject to a subpoena. So we had a lot of back and forth a few years ago when we uh, were renaming a road in front of one of our high schools in the state of Delaware, and there was a subpoena for emails and text messages between board members about renaming it. And there was nothing, there was nothing that was done on their .k12.de.us email addresses, but there were a lot of text messages in Google emails, or sorry, Gmail emails. So they ended up being discoverable. So we can try to be cute. Being cute gets us around FOIA, but it does not get us around um, subpoenas in any way. All right, questions before I bounce over to other issues besides FOIA. General rules with regard to being a board member is, is the most important thing to remember is that, is that you're one of many. Um, you have limited functions and enjoy those limitations. Don't try to expand them. My job representing 17 districts is to worry and to keep you out of trouble. And most of the times board members get themselves in trouble, they go beyond and they exceed what their roles are as board members. What your roles are as board members are set forth in statute. 1043 says that you administer and supervise the district. That means you make regulations and you make policy. 1048C specifically says that no individual board member has any individual powers unless they are acting at a duly convened meeting with a, with a majority of the board. No business is transacted without a quorum of the board. You need a majority of the whole board, which is a beautiful thing, right? Because in Christina, when I had a school board member attack a bus driver during the day, she got charged, she got convicted, and she's a school board member. She was yelling racial slurs at our bus driver. When that occurred and I filed my motion to dismiss, it says this person was not acting as a school board member during the middle of the afternoon when this incident occurred. This occurred during the day. There was not even a school board meeting for another two weeks. And we got out of that case because your roles are limited to what transpires at a board meeting. 1049 says you make policy. 1091 says you appoint Dr. Owens. Chapter 14 governs terminations. Title 14, chapter 19 governs the Public Employment Relations Board. 
statute says that you appoint hearing officers. You have to do things like set the calendar, make curriculum, set a code of conduct. That's it. That's it. And that's a beautiful thing, right? It, 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 but there's a temptation to get to know too much. And you got to remember that you are the ultimate decision makers. You ultimately run this school district. And there's a temptation to get to know too much because, you know, I'm going to use Mr. Layfield as an example because he's the board president. He doesn't want to be the guy who is at the Royal Farms getting coffee and somebody comes up to him and says, hey, did you hear about this? He doesn't want to be the guy that says, no, I'm, you know, even though I'm the school board president, I'm not in the know. I don't have any idea what's going on. Nobody wants to do that. You want to be the person that says, you know, you get, you get a, a complaint. Hey, you know, I, you're, I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but you know, my teach, my kid's teacher stinks. And, um, you, you know, I, I heard that he smacked the kid. Can you investigate it? You probably don't want to say, yeah, I'll take care of it and I'll investigate it. You want to say, I'm going to refer that over to the administration, consider it handled, and then you bow out of it. You say, look, Dr. Owens, I got a complaint from Sally, the teacher, that, or Sally, the parent, that Jim, the teacher, is smacking kids. And you leave it at that. Because there's a temptation to know more and to get involved and to be a super board member. But that may taint the process. because. If I am your teacher, I'm one of your teachers, and, and I am smacking a kid, at the end of the day, you're going to decide whether I keep my job or not. You're going to decide whether to accept or reject the hearing officer's recommendation that I be terminated. And if you conduct the investigation on your own, if you dig into it too deep, if you start asking a lot of questions, are you impartial? When you're hearing my discipline case, or have you already made up your mind that I should be fired? So you are unpaid, you're volunteers, you're doing this for the good of kids. You do enough as board members, let the administration handle the investigations. Whenever you get a complaint from a member of the public, my recommendation to you is to say, thank you, I will forward it to Dr. Owens. Thank you, I will forward it to the Director of Transportation if it's a bus issue. Thank you, I will forward it to the Director of Facilities if it's a buildings and grounds issue. Uh, but it's always best to avoid the temptation to get to know too much. In other situations, it's good to, to try to, to, to limit your knowledge as well. Let's say you're hiring and you want to look me up. I'm, I'm, I'm applying for a teaching job. You don't want to be the, the board member who looks up and you know, sees on my Facebook account that I support you know, causes that involve cancer, genetic diseases, um, uh, hereditary diseases, cancer, ALS, MS, those things. Because if you decide, no, we're not going to hire this guy, and you looked at my Facebook page, and I later file a lawsuit saying the reason I didn't get hired is because you knew either I'm disabled or I live with somebody who's disabled or I've got a, I'm just making up examples or I've got a family member who's disabled. If you hadn't gone on my Facebook page and checked out to see what, what causes I support, um, you would have no, you would never stand accused in the first place. So sometimes 
when it comes to individual employees and their pregnancy, their gender identity, their sexual orientation, their disabilities, you're much better off not knowing. When it comes to, to employee non-renewals in May, you can, it's not a bad idea, you can ask Dr. Owens, hey, look, you're non-renewing Jim. Um, why is that? No, nothing wrong in that situation with saying, hey, is there something in his file? Did he, you know, does he have a pattern of ineffective teaching? Uh, you know, is he just a lousy teacher? What is it about him um, that you're non-renewing him? When it's a teacher termination, but not a non-renewal, not a May 15th non-renewal, you really don't want to know anything about the case going into it. You're going to have a request from the administration to issue a notice of intent to terminate. It is not a notice of termination. It is simply a part of the process. It's a notice of intent to terminate. Your job, I would suggest, would just be to say to, to Dr. Owens, does this meet one of the six during the year termination reasons? or one of the seven at the end of the year termination reasons? And if he says yes, at that point, it's my, it's my strong recommendation. You don't find out anything else about the case. All right, so Jim is accused of misconduct. What did he do? So Jim is accused of immorality. What did he do? You're so much better off not asking that question because Jay's response should be, it's in your best interest for me not to answer that question because he wants to keep you impartial because you're the ultimate decision makers with regard to many of these cases. Um, last, you know, two, two things to talk about, things that we see occur frequently is board members publicly disclosing private information. Um, this could be something that would lead to a FERPA complaint against the board member and the school district. And if it's public, if it's private information about an employee, also there could be personal liability in that situation if you disclose something that you learn in executive session. So part of the lesson is, is to be sure, to make sure you maintain the confidentiality of what is said in executive session. Now, look, five years from now, if you disclose that, yeah, you know, we were looking at that property on, on 113 um, and we decided not, not to pursue it, nobody's going to care, right? But if you say, hey, did you know that Jim took leave because he has this horrible disease um, that he got, you know, from these awful circumstances? and uh, therefore we fired him for neglect of duty. Um, you, you know, you're gonna have a lawsuit against you personally. So please maintain the confidentiality of that, of anything you learn in executive session. But last thing I wanted to touch on is somebody, it's a related question. Um, Dr. Owens on the agenda had said, you know, can you mention, I had a question about what happens for our liability if we get sued in our capacity as board members. Good news, except for the Carol Streffler case, there's never been liability established against an individual board member in Delaware that I can, that I can think of. 
and and I can think of a lot of times that it's been alleged, and I'm almost positive that that case, that was the Sussex Tech superintendent case from 2008 that went to a jury. It's also the largest employment um, discrimination verdict in Delaware history. Um, that's the only case. Now, when you talk about personal liability, Mr. Layfield, again, I'm sorry to use you as, as my guinea pig for purposes of this, but it's, it's, only, it's, it, it's, a, it's a function of your role. So there's a lawsuit. It's, um, it's Jones, I'm just making up names, Jones versus the Indian River School District. It alleges anything from civil rights to employment to playground slip and fall to bus crash to crossing guard getting hit by a car to somebody got COVID, to anywhere in between, okay? Any of the myriad lawsuits we see asserted against Indian River School District and Rodney Layfield and the other nine board members in their official and individual capacities. First of all, if it says in their official capacities, you don't need to worry about it. If it says in their individual capacities, you do. Now, it's one of those types of lawsuits, and I am suing, I, I, I am, uh, I'm defending the district, and, and Mr. and Mrs. Jones brought whatever theory it is against the 10 of you and the district. In order to establish liability against you and to go after your assets and go after your house and your car and your bank account and your flat screen TV and your boat and your et cetera, here's what the Jones family would have to do. First of all, they would have to win. Second of all, they would have to win in such a fashion that it exceeds your Liberty Mutual insurance policy. And any overages that were available through umbrella policies that, that Tammy has secured for you in terms of coverage. Then they would need to establish not only, I'm sorry, before that, before the insurance, they would only not have to win they have to assume they have to show that you acted with gross negligence and that you're not subject to any sort of immunities. So you've got your immunities and they let's say they got over the immunities. I can never tell you that nothing is that, that that'll never happen. But I'm it's not something and I worry a lot about my school boards. It's not something that keeps me up at night. Somehow they get over the immunities. Then they get past the insurance. Then they get past any umbrellas that Tammy might have, may or may not have gotten for you. Then they get, they have to, then, and they, they've still, you've not satisfied the judgment. Okay. Well, let's say it's, it's a hundred million dollars. Um, and that's more insurance than we have. At that point, as long as you have acted in good faith and you're not a perpetrator, you're just a policymaker, you're just a school board member. Under 14 Delco 1094, excuse me, 1095 the school district is obligated to pay anything above that. So let's say, I'm just going to say you got $10 million worth of insurance and it was a $100 million verdict. And they got past all the immunities in the Delaware State Door Claims Act and they found that you individually did something wrong. And they got past all the insurance. The next $90 million has to come out of the school district from whatever funding. Assuming you're not the actual perpetrator. You're not the person who shot somebody. You're not the person who molested a kid. You're not the person who engaged in deliberate and intentional discrimination. 
So it is a very long haul to go after your boat, your house, your TV, your car, your assets. And I had, I had hoped to leave time for questions. I went a little bit longer than anticipated, but I have no deadline. I will answer questions for as long as the board has questions. I turn it back to you, Dr. Owens. Ms. Wright, did you have a question? I do. I'm trying to get the thing off. I, I, do, I have a couple because I just, I want clarification to make sure. I, I know that you said no action gets taken by the board unless there's at least six members present. So does that, so my one question is, is there anything that can be signed or approved without six board members being made aware of it? Well, uh, Ms. Wright, no, and, and it's not just six board members being present. You need the affirmative, affirmative vote yes. of yes. six board members. So technically, nothing can get done unless six board members approve it. Um, and let's just be a little bit cautious um, because I know where your head is, and, and my head is where your head is, Ms. Wright. Let's be cautious because we don't want to talk about how things may have been done historically that might not have complied with with the with FOIA in in years past. Let's just say that. But um, it technically, whether it's a hire or anything else, everything is subject to your approval. And, and when I say your approval, you know, let's say we're hiring, you know, Bill as a janitor. And we hired him on September, let's say tonight's a regular board meeting. It's not, not what we're doing tonight. It's a regular old board meeting. And, and we hired him on September 15th because somebody needs to clean at, 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 at IRAC. I don't know. Um, and, you know, that hiring, Celeste knows that letter to, to build a custodian is going to say, you're hired, you start tomorrow. But if the board doesn't approve you on September 23rd, you're automatically fired. Your, your, your hiring is subject to board approval. Um, and if you decide, you know, you don't have six board members that vote in favor, or we, we, don't, we only have five board members show up, whatever the situation is, Bill then does not get hired. And that is made clear in the hiring letters. And, and we litigated that in a case, it was Williams versus Christina School District. They, they tried to allege that, that a contract was created when the person was hired and we prevailed in district court on that one a few years ago. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you. And I think you had a, a couple, if I remember. Well, that was it, because it's all contingent on, there has to be six affirmative votes, well, six either for or six against for it to pass or not to pass. Yes and no, right? Because you know, if I only have, if we have nine board members present, and to abstain, it's got to be all but one. You still got to have six, right? You only only have seven people that vote. Correct. Right? So, so then the motion would, would not pass. So an, an abstention is a no vote in Delaware law, just so you all know that. We see a lot of people abstain. An abstention is a no vote. In my view, the only time we should be abstaining um, is if we have some sort of conflict of interest it deals with 
um, some sort of public integrity commission issue. Most, you know, ver very rarely should people be abstaining. So a question on that then, if, I don't know about public integrity, but if you're, if you're voting on personnel mm -hmm. and there is an individual on there, how far down the line does it go that you should abstain? Like, I know, is it, you know, like if it's your son, your daughter, your daughter-in-law, your nieces, your nephews, it, it, that I believe is a reason for an abstention. Close family member, as defined in the in Title Twenty Nine, Chapter Fifty Eight. Let me give you the reference. I'm sorry. That's okay. I just it might be fifty nine. Um, it's close family member, and you know if I am. It's 58. The close relative is a person's parents, spouse, child, natural or adopted, and siblings of the whole and half blood. Um, so, it, you know, it, let's say you're hiring one person and, and, you know, the issue is your your son is you know, up to be a, a supervisor of X, Y, and Z. Could you vote on that? Clearly not. But if we're doing salaries, your son's already an employee, and we're doing salary increases, and, and let's say your son's a paraprofessional, and it's going to affect all paraprofessionals, is that a problem? Clearly not under the fixed statute. So question to, to marry up with that, to dovetail with that. If you have a close relative as defined by the statute and we're voting on all teachers, everyone can vote. I mean, that, that board member can vote. It's just when it's a, the individual, it's kind of a separation. I know we've dealt with this, but I just, it got brought up and some questions got asked. And specifically, if you have a close member of your family and you're voting for all the teachers pay raises at one time and, and it's not affecting your kid any different than the other 800 teachers then the statute says as long as that person's not being treated any differently from the class in other words no favoritism because he's rodney's son no rodney's brother rodney's cousin rodney's sibling of the first or half blood or rodney's mom or dad the statute says that's completely fine but if that person gets more because they're Rodney's son or daughter, that's the problem right there. As long as they're not being treated any differently than the class. And think about it. I mean, I've got, you know, one district, I really shouldn't say who it is. Every single member of the board, every single member of the board has a spouse or a child employed in that district. Every single one. It has to be that way or that district could never function. I'll take it one step further. Every single board member and the superintendent and the assistant superintendent have spouses or children employed in that school district. And that's completely legal. Anyone else with a question? Mr. McMacken, we appreciate you joining us this evening. Uh, that was a lot of information, very helpful. Uh, board members, I hope that uh, 
you found that valuable. And, and Jim, we, we, again, appreciate your time. I'm very happy to do it. We always love working with you and your team, Dr. Owens. Um, I, I, I think you guys are doing great things getting through COVID. You know, you, you, you've, you've been one of the leaders in this, Dr. Owens, and all the chiefs and, and, and those of us that are on, you know, dealing with it every day. We all appreciate you and your team. Thank you, sir. Mr. Layfield, I'll turn it back over to you for adjournment. Any questions before we close the meeting out, fellow board members? No, sir. No. Nope. Meeting is adjourned.